What? College matters. What? College, college matters. matters. Really? For sure. College matters. Alma, Alma matters. The inspiration for this episode came from the Council on Undergraduate Research, also known as CUR, and the National Conference on Undergraduate Research, also called NCUR. Research reshapes perspectives, drives innovation, and influences academic and future career paths. Hello, I'm Venkatraman, and the host of the podcast, College Matters, Alma Matters. And I have been fortunate enough to talk to a number of undergraduate researchers over the last couple of years on this podcast. For this episode, I have picked snippets that highlight the transformative experiences of undergraduates and mentors engaged in research. I've organized them into three buckets, how and why they are doing undergraduate research, examples of such research, and the impact of research. Now, let's just sit back and listen. Let's start with why they're doing undergraduate research. Gavin Fry of Dartmouth had a passion that started when he was very young. It was, it was the summer before uh, yeah. before yeah. I went went to Dartmouth. Um, you know, I had kind of did a little bit of self research on the on the faculty uh, research profiles at Dartmouth, specifically in the Earth Science Department, right? Because I, I knew, broadly speaking, that I wanted to go into research centered around weather, you know, around meteorology. Um, always mm-hmm. been fascinated in, by it since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to see who I might kind of pair up with at Dartmouth uh, to do this kind of research. And, you know, I came across um, uh, my now research advisor uh, and his, his profile. And, you know, it kind of talked about him doing climate research and, and weather research. And I, I reached out to him, kind of introducing myself and saying, you know, hello, I'm Gavin Fry. Um, you know, I come from this background. I'm really interested in the, in the research that you do. I'd love to be a part of it. Um, once I'm, once I'm at Dartmouth and, and you know, that was before I even took a single college class. So, right. I mean, it was, it was, a bit, it was a bit ambitious, but you know, I don't, uh, I don't regret that. You know, I was able to introduce myself to him and, you know, fast forward a little bit later to meeting him in person, um, you know, before classes actually started. And we, we had kind of talked about, what research would entail. And, and, you know, he gave me some really, really sound advice to say, okay, you know, take this, this first term at Dartmouth, uh, you know, your freshman fall, we call it, take that term to get your footing, um, see what uh, college is like, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, orient yourself. And then you can get back to me uh, during the second quarter uh, of your freshman year. And we can kind of talk about, you know, what kind of research you might be uh, interested in doing. Mm-hmm. And and it, it, as soon as I was eligible to do any kind of research uh, at Dartmouth, I, I worked with this professor um, toward the end of my first term uh, on campus, mm-hmm. and that's when I wrote I wrote my first ever research proposal to uh, something called the Irving Institute for Energy and Society at Dartmouth, which is 
generally focused on anything energy and, and climate related. For Megan Mitchum of UNCC, it was very personal. So whenever I came to UNC Charlotte, um, actually the the summer before I, I transferred, we had found out that my dad was in liver failure. Well, there was a professor here who studied livers and I was like, I want to be in that guy's lab. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I kept emailing him and uh, I had talked to one of my advisors. And I was like, I haven't heard back. I want to be in his lab. Mm-hmm. And so he reached out for me actually Um and when I went to interview, uh, the professor said, you know, I'm in phased retirement, right? And I was like, okay, I need to learn everything I can from you in the next two years. Mm-hmm. And so he accepted me in his lab. I got to um, learn a lot in his lab um, as, you know, for two years, I got to spend time in his lab um, and it was just amazing. I had went from doing self-guided research to I was in an actual research lab. And um, that that was a weird experience. And it was so cool, though. I was like, I didn't know I had all these things I could use to do experiments with. With Kayla and David Suiz of Utah State University, it happened while on a hike. This one has kind of been the overarching project of our entire undergraduate careers. Mm-hmm. Um, this one started, I think, the first summer that we were doing research in this lab with Dr. Condal. Um, mm-hmm. So almost three years ago, we were going on a, one of our graduate students needed more um, plant specimens for her, for her project. So we were going on a hike through the canyon that's just right off campus. Mm-hmm. And we got about halfway up and our professor who's, who's from India um, mm-hmm. kind of stopped and said like, hey, is this sagebrush? And we were like, yeah, like sagebrush is, I mean, I don't know about anywhere else in the country, but in Idaho and Utah, like it's just sagebrush everywhere. Like it's a sea of sagebrush. So we're like, yeah, that's uh-huh. sagebrush. It is absolutely nothing special. Mm-hmm. And she said that she had heard about um, sagebrush's cousin, which is a urban China that has been used to be, uh, they were doing research on if it can treat cancer or not. So she got so excited at the sight of sagebrush. And I was just so confused because I just grew up knowing that sagebrush was nothing special <laughs> um so she said i really want to see like there are native american um practices and some medicinal practices where they use this for treatment on a lot of different ailments and i want to see if there's anything legit in that mm-hmm. and so she kind of started me on it and then i pulled david in on it and we've been going with that question ever since and we've just been working so hard for so many years to work out all this research it's been really cool For Anna Quitter of University of Pittsburgh, quite frankly, her prof wanted somebody to distract her. So, um, so what had happened is fall of my freshman year, right? You know, I was interested in astronomy coming out of high school. I knew I really wanted to study this. So Mm -hmm. I didn't quite understand the purpose of office hours that it was supposed to focus on, like specifically answering questions about the content of the course. Mm -hmm. And so I would go, so I took introductory astronomy for majors, fall freshman year. So I would go to office hours, every single office hours that was offered. (laughs) And like a lot of times nobody else shows up. So I just viewed that as like my hour to ask this astronomy professor 
every question I'd ever had in astronomy, yeah. <laughs> which is, I mean, more power to you if that's what you want to do, you know, I mean, yeah. you're welcome yeah. to do that, right? It's your instruction time. But um, that's not typically how people use their office hours, but, but that's how I use this one. And so mm -hmm. my, my understanding of the story goes that after, you know, a month or six weeks of this, this astronomy uh -huh. professor started going around the department saying, look, I've got this girl. She, this lady is really keen on astronomy. Will somebody please give her a project so that <laughs> she's occupied and doesn't just keep spending all of her time in my um, astronomy class, in my astronomy office hours, asking me a million questions. And so that's how I came to uh, meet uh, Professor Dave Turncheck and um, Professor Sandia Rao uh, in uh -huh. the Quasar Research Group. And uh -huh. so November of my freshman year, I went and had an interview with them and we, we hit it off. They, you know, they studied, um, they studied spectra. So like light that's gone through a fancy type of prism um, mm -hmm. from galaxies that are really far away. Mm -hmm. And so trying to understand the chemical composition of those galaxies and um, how their gas is moving in the galaxies and what types of stars are in the galaxies and things like that. And anyways, though, um, yeah, so I, they, I, we hit it off and boom, I started working with them right away. And I stayed with that same research group all the way through uh, until I graduated. Here are a few examples of the research that students have conducted. Rosedis de la Rosa of Emory University did research that found a new ancestral lineage in indigenous people in Uruguay. Yeah, so specifically, my project was on like looking at the, because um, the samples that we got were actually um, remains from an indigenous uh, individual. Mm -hmm. So we had ancient indigenous um, samples from Uruguay. So when I wrote my literature review, my, my sophomore year, what he wanted me to look at was kind of like how the narrative based on like Europeans who were colonizing like the area that we know as Uruguay today compares yeah. to the narrative that like they had based on their own records because mm -hmm. there's still as it's not that much but there are some like published like journals and stuff from indigenous individuals who were also recording what was happening at the same time that the Spanish were recording. Mm -hmm. So it was the Spanish and the, Port uh, the Portuguese kind of like had most of their, um, spent most of their time in Uruguay. Yeah. And so like that was my sophomore year. So I like came to know about like this awful massacre known as um, Salsipuedes, which mm -hmm. happened in like 1813. And mm -hmm. ba basically Salsipuedes translates in English to get out if you can. Mm -hmm. And it was like a campaign of massacres that were, um, cre that were, uh, that were what that were done by the Spanish to mm -hmm. kind of like finish exterminating um, indigenous populations that lived in Uruguay. Mm. And then wow. my junior year, yeah, it was actually really awful. I was, yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, my junior year, when I started like going into the lab for real and running like these codes and whatnot, we were we basically ended up finding a new kind of like ancestral ancestral lineage mm. that is in South America that had never been detected before wow. because mm. the individuals we um, 
we extract the DNA from two individuals. Mm-hmm. And the older individual had a connection to both Brazil and Panama. But the mm. thing is, if you look at South America, like Brazil makes sense because Brazil is the country directly on top of Uruguay. But yeah. Panama is, you know, closer to uh, like um, the north of South America. So. Gabriel Cruz of SUNY Fredonia studied the regenerative properties of hair cells on zebrafish. So um, in Dr. Niss's lab, we were looking at um, the development and regeneration of hair cells <clears throat> in the neuromast of zebrafish. The hair cells are uh, not like the hair on our head. They're just called hair cells, and they're functionally analogous to mm-hmm. the cells in our ears that allow us to hear. Yeah. Um, however, in humans, when those cells are damaged, they do not regenerate, which is why a lot of people experience things like hearing loss. Yeah. Um, however, in zebrafish, they've been able to regenerate. Mm. Um, so we've been looking at um, the pathway involved in that by mutating different genes um, and watching the development of those cells. Um, we'll pick a gene that um, is associated with hair cell development and regeneration. And then we use CRISPR um, to disrupt that gene uh, by knocking in either GFP or RFP and mm-hmm. watching it, uh, the development of it on the confocal microscope. Daniel Posmic of the University of Cincinnati studied how financial aid can predict international enrollment. Yeah, yeah. So my research really examines the relationship between financial aid and international student enrollment. So in in the context of my story, that seems that fits right in because really the main thing that I was worried about throughout those four years was how am I as an international student going to be able to fund the fact that I'm pursuing an education here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so my paper focuses on that. And then it is a, an attempt to measure the correlation between those two things. So in, in a way, my paper is designed mostly for institutions to be able to better tell, like, if I award this much aid, how is this going to affect enrollment in, mm-hmm. in, in, in the future? And I caught myself here, too, on the wording I used. Uh, I, I shouldn't say affect because that is a long story, but that's causal language, but predicting. I'm basically predicting international student enrollment based on financial aid. Hmm. Hmm. So what, what were uh, that, that's actually a fascinating mm-hmm. uh, topic. So um, what did you find? I mean, what what were what did you see by way of data mm-hmm. and what what kind of recommendations or uh, uh, concepts did you advance? Yeah, yeah. There's, so there's two to three main insights that I gained from the research. The one is kind of a duh insight, which is the fact that aid is a pretty important predictor of enrollment, <laughs> which is kind yeah. of like, duh, yeah. If you award more aid, there's <laughs> probably going to be more international students that choose to study there. Uh, the second one that is I found is really interesting, It really what matters more than anything, more than the amount of aid, is how you award it. So, for example, it is more effective to award $100 of aid to one person than to award $1 of aid 
to 100 people. So sure. the, the, the level of aid that is awarded has to be substantive. And then yeah. the third one, which I thought was the most interesting discovery that I made in my research is that aid is an especially powerful predictor of enrollment in institutions that are generally not favored by international students and that are, for example, small rural institutions that generally don't have a high baseline of enrollment. Mm -hmm. And uh, those universities and those institutions in particular can profit off awarding aid because their $1 of aid goes a lot further in terms of enrollment than it would for a big urban research institution, for example. Sure. The last section is on the difference undergraduate research can make. Here's a powerful story by Professor Juk Bhattacharya of University of Wisconsin Whitewater. I had a student who wasn't a rap student, but he was in my class. He had multiple sclerosis. Hmm. And he had some speech deficiency and also couldn't walk really well. But mm -hmm. he was fascinated with geology. Like I hmm. showed photos of rocks and I could see his mouth is just hanging open. Mm -hmm. So I invited him to be my lab teaching assistant, not a research assistant, but to teach my intro geology students. Mm -hmm. And eventually he got involved in my research. He, he was never encouraged to go into academia. When he was in high school, people thought he should go to trade school because he can do research because of his disabilities. And mm -hmm. then he was a history major because nobody thought he could do science because his disability. But when he came to our lab, um, mm -hmm. we don't do, we don't discriminate with disabilities. I could see his interest. Like if you are interested, you can do anything. Right. And that's the whole model for our research lab. If you are interested, there is nothing that can stop you. Mm -hmm. So right. he ended up overcoming his speech even he was afraid to talk to people because he felt uncomfortable but in, in the working with in the teaching lab he became more confident mm -hmm. and he he went to iceland with me for research he went to hawaii with me for research and currently he's in uh, bowling green pursuing doing a master's degree in paleontology wow. so Hi again. Hope you enjoyed this episode featuring snippets from undergraduate research stories. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. To learn more, check out the other research stories on this podcast. They will give you a peek into a broad array of research opportunities in college. Till we meet again, take care and be safe. Thank you. College matters. Alma, Alma matters. matters.